0: Yes, we are live on air. This is First Impressions, the podcast we talk about our love for Jane Austen and give a middle finger to all the haters. And I am one of your two hosts. I am Kristen. I am joined by Margaret. Hello. Also known as Maggie, the original. Thank you for clearing
1: that up because you do (laughs) refer to me as both names. And sometimes I wonder if people, um, maybe in other countries, might sometimes get confused. But yes, Maggie is a nickname for Margaret. Yes, and... Bay is the nickname for Bayard. Yes, Bay is B-A-Y, not B-A-E. Okay, <laughs> yes. let's, let's just add that to our intro in every yeah. episode. By the way, I remember... if you hear
0: us mention Maggie's fiance, Bay, that's his real name. <laughs> that should be part of the intro, <laughs> the spiel. We give a big middle finger to all the haters. And by the way, she's saying B-A-Y, not B-A-E. So just deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> so we're going to talk today. I am super excited we're going to talk about uh, Mansfield Park, a movie adaptation of Mansfield Park, and we are going to tackle today the um, ITV, is the channel, the TV movie starring Billy Piper, uh, which I had the IMDb up and now I already forgot, but I think it was 2007.
1: And this is by listener request, isn't it? Um, no, it we had a listener request for Romola Garai's. Uh, oh, so this is like the opposite of what the listener actually wanted to hear yeah, <laughs> yes. so sorry, sorry about um, that, everybody. <laughs> no, and we. But you're
0: right, though. It is there was a previous listener request um, from our listener Emily who uh, wrote into me, wrote to me about Mansfield Park quite a while ago now, and like for the last two or three wheat Chiefs, I've been like, no, no more emails to discuss because. We got a blizzard of spam and her email was pushed down to the bottom of the queue. So when I was just glancing at our inbox to see, okay, what did I not talk about? It was like not there. And so then I found it again. I was like, crap, (laughs) there was the email to discuss, but now we can discuss it at the end of this episode because it'll be highly relevant because we're talking about Mansfield Park. But yes, 2007 TV movie uh, directed by Ian McDonald and written writing credits uh, to Maggie Wadey. And also no to Jane Austen, but it says, uncredited.
1: Which is interesting.
0: Which is interesting because one, one point that is sort of in this adaptation's favor is that so much original dialogue from the book actually did make it into the movie, a lot of it. And of course I can say, you know, I know all the lines by heart. So whenever they came out with a line that was actually from the book, Mansfield Park, I was like, yes. But in a larger context, I was like, no, because this amazing line was landing like a ton of bricks because, okay, I don't want to be too hard on this adaptation, but I think they missed a lot of opportunities to give those lines emotional resonance. So they were just good lines, but they were landing in, they weren't supported by the rest of the movie, I feel. I don't know. Maggie, how did you feel about the whole?
1: Well, first of all, let me ask you, Kristen, did you like the movie? I did not enjoy the movie.
0: Okay. I did not like it as an adaptation of Mansfield Park, and I did not like it as a standalone piece of art either. Okay.
1: I do not like the movie, and yet I have seen it like five times. I don't know what's wrong with me, but every so often I'm like, yeah, I should really watch that Mansfield Park movie. I don't know why. I don't really like it. It's not a good movie. (laughs) I think there's a lot of issues with it, which we can talk about. Um, and yet, and yet, I seem to watch a lot, so I don't really know (laughs) what that says about me.
0: Well, Uh, I I know some people do like it. Maybe you just secretly love Mansfield
1: Park and you need your fix. Maybe. I mean, I do like Mansfield Park. I don't dislike (laughs) Mansfield Park. Yeah, I don't know. So one of the weird things about this movie that I finally figured out what was bothering me on this rewatch was that it's not clear what time period we are in. Because while one would think it was set in the Regency era, the costumes are not Regency era. Um, the men's clothing seems much earlier to me. It's almost like if you were watching 1770s, you know, like the here it would, we would call it the colonial era. We're talking much more like uh, older fashioned looking. The women's, they don't have that kind of column
0: mm, mm-hmm, empire
1: mm-hmm. waist as much look as you're accustomed to seeing in a Jane Austen adaptation and at the end they waltz.
0: Oh yes. Oh, and it's so oh, stupid It'd, like Fanny and lady Edmund have is a like, like oh, they've
1: invented a new dance. Like there's this line like oh, Edmund and Fanny have invented a new dance. Like you what? Don't. No. No. <laughs> what? That would have been so scandalous to have a man and a woman dancing by themselves. So it's just I don't understand when the film is supposed to be maybe they just got caught like they couldn't get their hands on the like prime costumes yes well and they were trying to make it look just a little different set it apart they Um, clearly
0: had no budget for this thing um i'm very sympathetic to the fact that they had a very very low budget and i think perhaps the costumes were on loan from like previous ITV productions or something because you'll notice that every time something comes up in the story that would have required a new setting or different costumes, they're like, oh, you know, they turn the ball. They're like, Fanny, we're going to have a ball. And she's like, I say we're going to have a picnic. Yeah. How about a picnic?
1: (laughs) They never leave Mansfield Park. She doesn't go back to Portsmouth. They never leave Mansfield Park.
0: They never go to Southerton. They never go to Portsmouth. They never leave Mansfield Park, which also makes it the, the, movie a bit more airless and um, you know as well and and feel a little bit more sedentary and then they try to address that sort of boring we're just hanging around Mansfield Park feeling by shaky cam
1: meaning yeah
0: the camera is not fixed it's a shaky camera to give us the um, feeling of movement or that everybody everybody's moving around but, you know, and, we, we
1: have that same problem in that persuasion, that more recent persuasion oh, yeah. adaptation as well. Yeah, I think that's just, like, a modern filmmaker technique. Well, I see. Add they, dy- were, uh, dy- not dynamism? What, what am I looking for? What am I trying to say? Yes, uh, a dynamic feel.
0: Yes. I, I know I know for sure that from a directing persp- pers- perspective, I don't know for sure, but I suspect from a director's perspective, they're like, how are we going to give some dynamic feel to this movie and rather than working with the writer and working with the actors they take the shortcut i'm not a a cinematographer what do i know but they sort of just take the shortcut of being like oh we're gonna have a dynamic camera shaky cam to make everything feel more realistic and more exciting and really just what happens is you just wind up giving your viewers um a headache
1: yeah (laughs) personally that the opening sequence where Fanny and Edmund are playing badminton because yes. you know Fanny is always running everywhere. Yes, quite uh, the that's, spunky little gal. Hallmark of her character. She, that bitch runs so much <laughs> in this show. I think I texted Kristen and was like, "She's running halfway back to port." Like, I don't. I know that mm-hmm. people don't really like Fanny, and so they're trying to make her more active, right? right. Literally, Fanny runs fucking everywhere. <laughs> Like, she must go through shoes faster than I do with my Nikes because she's just all over the place. <laughs> she is, and um, I, I, I will give the
0: film credit for not pulling a Patricia Rosma and trying to make Fanny um, a delightfully clever, quirky character personality-wise, but they still fell into this idea of we have to make people like Fanny by making her seem modern. And that's why they did all the running and jumping and playing. And, oh, there's even a scene where, and tell me what you thought of this, but, and I, I kind of liked this, but I also kind of thought it was kind of weird. There's a scene where she's walking with Edmund and she's like, oh, hold on, Edmund. I have a stone in my shoe. And she grabs him and takes her shoe off and shakes the stone out, which kind of was cute because it made them, it showed how close they were and how she would feel comfortable just grabbing onto him. And like, hey, buddy, I got a stone in my shoe. But also, like, that's weird. Uh, is it? She's just so relatable. That Fanny, she's just so relatable. We all get stones in our they're shoes. They're just
1: like celebrities. They're just like us. Yeah, Celebrities, they're just like us. Fanny Price, she's just like us. I don't have any problems with Billy Piper's performance. I really like her. I'm a Doctor Who fan. I think she was fine. I think it's all in how the character was imagined from the start. And the the way that they chose to show her closeness with Edmund were in ways, and I'm not a stickler for historical accuracy. Like, I don't know, but they made them extremely inappropriate with one another. He walks into her bedroom when she's Mm -hmm. washing her hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That That would not have happened. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I'm no expert, but I've watched a lot of costume dramas and a single man and a single woman in that time period, even though they are cousins, they are not, si- I don't even think, I don't even know if siblings would do that. I mean, I don't know, but to me it felt extremely out of place and it was jarring as a viewer. Oh, come in, Edmund. It's okay. I'm almost naked and my hair is wet. <laughs> even right? when, well, right. Yeah. Right. That, that was
0: surprising yeah a number of things are kind of surprising and and um oh when they're playing blind man's bluff at the picnic sort of towards the end of the movie and mm-hmm. he catches her and he just basically like grabs her boob area well, feels <laughs> he her up. Yeah. Feels her, he's trying to figure out who she is but like wow
1: you know like also oh there's only four people at this goddamn party and you can't figure <laughs> out that fanny yeah. like come on uh, Oh my gosh. Oh and then I Kevin's laughing so hard because then it's
0: Fanny's turn to catch somebody and she just catches some random dude and she's like it's Dave and everyone's yeah. like hey yeah. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a character in the movie. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: Um, I did. I think, and I think the reason why I like to watch this movie a lot is I really enjoy some of the other casting. We've talked before about my love of Haley Atwell, and I still think she's wonderful. I think she is such a good actress, and I think she's so good in this. And the guy who plays William, Fanny's brother, is an actor who I know very well. Um, From the CW series Vampire Diaries and the Originals, he plays the vampire Klaus who is like this very weird, very Shakespearean character and I've also seen that actor since I watched a long time ago a UK series that was set at a, it's called Hex. And it's about a witch who she's a teenager and she finds out she's from a long line of witches and she's in a boarding school. And there's like a fallen angel who's trapped there, who's trying to seduce her, to use her power, to free himself. And that guy, that was his first big role. And he's also super famous now, but I can't remember his name. What's the guy who plays Magneto in the new X-Men movies, Kristen? Um, Michael Fassbender? Yes, that was one of Michael Fassbender's first roles. And the guy who played William, who I'm talking about, was also on that as, like, one of the goofy teenage guys at the boarding school. Um, so I just... He's one of the, hey, it's that guy actors. When I see, I get really excited. Yeah, I'll post, a, I'll post a picture of him on the Facebook page so people will know who I'm talking about.
0: And he was. I mean, the William guy that got to be William was, was good, but it was sort of random that William kind of came. He didn't play a whole lot of role. I guess we needed to know who he was because they do use promoting him as a way for Henry yeah. Crawford to get into Fanny's good graces. So yeah, so we needed to know who he was, but he does have the greatest little thing where he gets to dance. He does that yeah. little hornpipe or whatever. It's adorable. He's,
1: he's a very, he's a very charismatic actor. And I thought that he kind of injected some like life into the movie. Yeah.
0: It should, it definitely needed some levity uh, because part of the, another part of the problem I think the number one biggest problem, actually, overall in this movie, is that someone got the idea that in Regency England, in the upper class, everyone whispered all the time. Don't all lines, really <laughs> all Andy lines were delivered sotto voce, and sometimes it was it, they were so soft-spoken that even with the volume up the amount of sibilance from their whispering made the actual words hard to hear and the dialogue hard to understand and there was no bigger uh, offender than mrs norris the character who is supposed oh, to
1: be aggressive
0: and grating and she annoying was,
1: she had no person- she had no personality it was they me- took one of the biggest <laughs> villains in any and like i mean the cat in Harry Potter is named after oh, right, her. she's so horrible. And she's just like, oh, yes, I'll take care of it. Like, she had no personality. Why was she even there? It was not clear at
0: all why she was there. She has one or two mean things to say to Fanny. But the overall impression is that she's just kind of a prim and proper woman and not an emotional abuser. And, like, like the that real p- Mrs. Norris is just going to sit there with, like, just arrange her little petticoats. It, they may
1: hug had more, more of a role in the
0: plot more of a stage presence yeah but and, and, and that dog was super cute yeah exactly they, like, they, yeah she was so why like why would you even do that i don't understand it's like the character i don't know if that was a directorial decision or if no one had read the book and or the actress was like no this is the way i want to play mrs north i do not know but it was so weird and so much of the comedy or um, went down the drain because everyone, the, back to the Sado Voce issue, a lot of comedy went down the drain because of the actor's delivery was so lifeless and so limp and so whispered. Um, for example, in the beginning when uh, they say Fanny is coming and Lady Bertram has this line... I hope she will not tease my poor pug. I have just got Julia to leave it alone, right? It's supposed to be like sort of a plaintive, like worry. And the the Lady Bertram actress, who is a little bit more character overall than the Mrs. Norris actress, but she still delivers it in such a flat, sort of small way that the comedy for me entirely was lost. And even Kevin said, you know, he said, if I hadn't read the book and I was just here watching this movie with you, I would be so confused. As to who the characters are, their motivations are, what's going on, because the lack of characterization. Sir Thomas was another problem. I mean, right in the beginning, the guy who plays Sir Thomas, just to characterize him, just grimaces a lot. He's basically just one big human grimace, and he's walking around looking very mean- and delivers this line very cruelly to Fanny. Well, at first he says, this is not a promising beginning, right? When she bursts into tears and runs out of the room. And I wrote down in my notes, I was like, you can say that again, right? But then (laughs) later when Fanny's grown up, he leaves. And when he leaves, he says to her, I fear he will find his sister, alas, you know, too like his sister at 10. But he says it in a really cruel way. And it makes it clear they're setting up Sir Thomas as the villain of the piece, which... Fine. But then right after he comes home from Antigua, he's all concerned about Mariah. He's like, Mariah, do you really want to get married? And all of a sudden, for the first time, he seems sympathetic. What they should have done, what they didn't do, is establish that he's a stern father, but he's trying to be stern for the benefit of his children, you know, to make them, you know, to, to make them grown, grown people with morals. And at the end, he comes. The character comes right out and says this: "Oh, you know, I should have. It was my problem. I raised my kids wrong, just like it says at the end of actual Mansfield Park. I, I didn't know my own children." But he's portrayed as such a villain that when he comes out with that at the end, you're like, "Oh, I didn't even know you cared to know your children." You know, like I, I'm going on a tangent here. But the, the one of the the biggest problem I think about this movie is the beginning. They, they don't establish who anybody is. They don't really establish the emotional connections between characters and you don't get invested.
1: Yeah, I would not have even called this a comedy. No. I don't, I don't actually know. I guess they would call it a drama. I don't know what the point of this movie is. Was it a romance about Fanny and Edmund? Because I don't really think so. I guess they established right from the beginning that she's in love with him. So I guess you would say that's a central plot, but there is not a central villain. No, even the I guess Henry Crawford. I don't know, but they see we don't know, right? We don't know. And, and, I don't know what the point of this movie was. It was. I wonder if it they had to cut stuff for time, or just the script was just not clear.
0: I think you're right. They didn't come into it with an intentionality of a story they wanted to tell. They just had a list of plot points they had to knock off the list. And when you're watching, it feels like that. Okay, boom, 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 boom. We hit this point, this point, this point. We're progressing the story forward. There's a lot of frenetic forward energy, but no point, no reason, no emotional reason they're telling the story. They're not, they're just trying to get it out of the way. That's what it feels like, really. And, and Kevin and I were laughing at this. When we ordered the movie from Amazon Prime, the first the description of the movie came up, and it said, "In one of Austin's most complex plots, ah. <laughs> and it's like they were trying to justify themselves. Yeah. like we had we had to get through so much stuff. It's like you didn't have time. You had uh, I think they had an hour and a half.
1: Um, well, they clearly wanted to pump out another Austin adaptation when it was going on, and it was hot. So, clearly, I mean, that's clearly what was going on here. No one, the people behind the scenes were not particularly interested in no a good.
0: Mansfield reality. Park has to be told in little moments, personal moments, moments of personal connection, negotiations between relationships. Um, it all is submarine sort of, it's all subtext. And you have to be very skilled. If like Austin was very skilled, to show those little personal transactions. It can be done. I mean, plenty of movies have shown small interactions like Sense and Sensibility. Uh, when um, when uh, Eleanor and Lucy Steele, the movie with Emma Thompson, when they're introduced, there are a lot of little interplays personally. And we know that Lucy Steele is a bad guy. And we know that Eleanor is being... Um, attacked, but we don't have to be told. Like when, in, in this movie, in Mansfield Park, when the Crawfords arrive, the way that the movie makers decide to show us that the Crawfords oh are, oh, no, the Crawfords are coming, is that Fanny narrates, oh, like a flash of lightning. The Crawfords were in our lives. And I feared Mansfield Park would never be the same again. And it's like, oh, guys, that is bad writing
1: <laughs> can we can we please talk about how mariah like i fucked henry crawford <laughs> the second he walked in I'm oh like, my god i understand they wanted to show an attraction but anyone in that room would have noticed <laughs> it was it made me it made me uncomfortable and i'm separated by time and space from these people and I was just like, oh, this face. It was like watching The Office oh when it's God. so awkward. I was just like, it's making me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Poor oh, Mr. Rushford.
0: <laughs> no, that is so true. And Kevin even remarked on the silly camera work that they had to do to try to create emotional impact when when sort of there was no other acting going on. And the, the, the great example of that it, is the incredible zoom in on Edmund's face <laughs> At the end, when Fanny picks purple as a thread color for her for Lady Bertram's um, embroidery, and Edmund looks up because purple is his favorite color, and he knows that Fanny knows that. So he looks up, and then the camera just spends I want to say like a full ten seconds just zooming in on his face. It's so like, you
1: can see the realization that he's actually been in love with oh Fanny God. the whole time. It's totally ridiculous. But but, but yes. That's what
0: they tried to do to create emotional resonance. And uh, it, it winds up, fe- you wind up feeling manipulated and sort of laughing about it.
1: Oh, my God. And so this is completely, I was just thinking in my head, like, fast forwarding through it. Speaking of the costumes, her wedding dress was, like, covered in sequins. I don't even know <laughs> what was happening. I was watching, I never noticed it before. And I'm like, she is wearing, like, a stage costume. It was just covered <laughs> in, like, sequins or, like, crusted uh, crystals. Mm. It was nothing that someone would wear back then. <laughs> Absolutely not. It was so, what is the word, anachronistic. Like, it just pulled me right out of it. Right out yeah, of the story. Oh, just, I, I didn't know what was happening. I they probably say, made this movie for, like, 13-year-old girls who just want to, like, it's like die at Austin. diet Austin diet Austin uh, yeah diet
0: budget Austin like just flip it on and feel like yeah I mean uh it's no it's so true but you know we do have to talk I do want to talk though now if we can get into some particulars about the movie um because I know I've just been like saying overview things but um I loved the only bright spot or one of the only bright spots in this movie for me I loved Mr. Rushworth To me, he was fantastic. He was hysterical. Um, And I found myself liking him more and more, which you're not supposed to do. Yeah,
1: he's supposed to be really stupid.
0: (laughs) You're supposed to like roll your eyes, like Mariah rolls her eyes. Uh, You know, the the problem too with the whole Mariah Rushworth Crawford triangle is that when they do wind up doing the play, um, you don't ever really see Henry Crawford maneuvering to get her, um, to get Mariah's affections. You kind of, we should kind of just have this one scene where they're rehearsing and then he sort of says to Mariah, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in love with you or whatever. We don't know that he's insincere, really. I mean, we may have one or two clues, but we actually, um, it's not, we don't hate him for it because we don't see the machinations We don't see him purposely playing Julia off of Mariah. Um, We don't see him going behind the backs of people multiple times. It's just like the curtain falls down. Everybody sees that they're standing close to one another. Julia understands the significance because she bursts into tears and runs out of the room, but everybody else doesn't understand, even though they've just seen them standing super okay, close. but
1: they were not just standing super close. They were basically making out. Yeah,
0: I know, and, and then and they are like, oh,
1: Rushworth totally knows what's going on, too.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it's just the, the emotion, emotionally. Oh, and the same problem with, with um, I liked the scene where Edmund goes to Fanny and says, Fanny, give me your blessing. I really yeah. want to act. It's not right to make Miss Crawford act with a stranger. But what we haven't seen is, um Miss Crawford attempting to manipulate him into coming to that decision. Instead we see a shot of her face and she's looking anxious, like, Oh, please, Edmund, please, I'm really concerned, come act with me. When really it's not made clear that Miss Crawford's other choice is just not to do it if she doesn't want to do it. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Well, um, um, this is part of and I was saying, you know, that I love Haley Atwell in this movie, and they did I think they really changed Mary Crawford's character in this movie so it wasn't like she was maneuvering the whole time to get him to do it is what i feel like Mm, that she just wanted him
0: they changed it so that her she was less of an evil manipulator Yes, they
1: made her much like quote nicer in this one which i didn't really mind because i really like her i don't want to hate her (laughs) yeah
0: well they tried um in the very first scene did you notice when she's coming to mansfield park she came to mansfield park she's talking to edmund she shows her ankle.
1: Oh yeah, brazen, and he's yeah. shocked.
0: Which, why would she do that? She hasn't, she doesn't even know yet that she's attracted to Edmund. She's never even interacted with him. That's I mean, we know, we know later that she's developed an affection for him, but right when she first meets him, we've just heard her saying to Henry, oh, I'm gonna go after Tom, I'm gonna go after the eldest.
1: Yeah.
0: So all of a sudden she's in there, flashing her ankle to Edmund, and her motivations aren't clear. It's but like, I well,
1: this is part of the problem with the script, right? There's inconsistency in the characterization. Where, on one hand, she's not as conniving or um, manipulative, but then on the other hand, she's still like flirting with him. Raise, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going <laughs> on. <laughs> well, movie. I and I never. I wrote down too. I don't understand why
0: Edmund has fallen in love with Mary Crawford. I mean, after they have that first scene together where Edmund whispers, oh, you might you might see why, Miss Crawford. It's, it's so hard to get a cart. You have to get in the grass at this time of year. And it's all whispered. He mansplains to her about how to arrange transportation. Yeah, he does. Um, it's just sort of taken for granted that because she's pretty, yeah, that he's in love with her, even though it's still pretty early on in the film where she insults clergymen. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, clearly you didn't know I'm about to be a clergyman. But yet uh, her her sway, her romantic sway over him is never in
1: dispute. Or it's, no, it's, none it's, of this it, movie makes sense, really. It's they not
0: just, clear why they're in love. There's no motivation for him to love her. There's no real motivation for her to love him. And yet we're
1: just supposed to accept. I will um, say that they also kind of took the teeth out of... We, Kristen and I chatted about this briefly. They kind of took the teeth out of mary crawford and they've made her a much more likable and i guess practical minded person we were talking about like when edmund objects to her response to her brother's marriage she's not she's not being the kind of saying the kind of horrible things she does in the book it's more like she's the moral implications are not her prime concern. Her prime concern are what What does this mean economically? What does this mean practically for everyone's reputation? And when he gets this moral outrage at her, it's like, well, I'm sorry that I have to focus on these other aspects of it, Edmund. And I hmm. mentioned that's his white male privilege to be like right, right? Because he doesn't have to worry about all of these things. He is a man. he is is able to own property and do stuff like that and his whole self-worth is not defined by his chastity and his reputation so for her to focus on these things made perfect sense to me oh yeah when when he's yelling at her i was like you better step back edmund he (laughs) he does not come off as being in the right she comes off as being
0: sympathetic really to mariah and wanting to save mariah and have mariah married to to henry and it's not just she doesn't come off as just wanting that for selfish reasons
1: yeah Um, which i think is the point in the book right
0: yeah she she probably does in the book want that more for selfish reasons especially because if she gets married to edmund and as she just brazenly says in the film by the way if tom dies (laughs) yeah we can help them establish, reestablish their
1: footing in society. But it doesn't even come off as badly in the film, I think. And maybe it's just because no, it Hel- Kelly Atwell is so likable herself. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's just like her thinking out loud, planning for every possibility. Because Tom is very sick. Mm-hmm. And because everything takes place at Mansfield Park, he's dying. At, he's sick at Mansfield Park. This right. all takes place. All these conversations happen With the characters together not through letters tom is there like in the next room um it just makes her seem like she's practical minded to me it didn't come off as her kind of maneuvering and conniving
0: it it makes her seem a little bit tone deaf too which mary crawford you know like when she comes in she literally says to fanny fanny don't worry i've never bribed a physician in my life which is kind of funny to say in a letter but less funny to say if someone is dying in the next room yeah i
1: don't yep. know i just and her line too where she says you know people selfish people can never apologize i forget what the line is oh, yes. the yes, but it cute. just comes off as charming right that like is, that is very cute that is very yeah, charming she just says it she's so adorable and she just says it in this like very funny cute way that even, i know a lot of people use that line is to be like well look she knows she's a horrible person but it's just, it's just very charming the way that she says it in the film. So it just comes off as like a cute thing that... maybe Yeah, maybe this yeah. is how she's a good
0: depiction of Mary Crawford is that she is dressing selfishness up with charm so that it, it doesn't offend the way that actual intent of what
1: she's doing would offend, you yeah. know? I just got um, so mad when he was going off on her. Yeah. On her <laughs> yeah, yeah. being because- outraged at this situation because it's... It just really smacked of like, well, it's easy for you to say that. Image. Yeah,
0: right. It did. It it, it didn't, what she was saying was totally rational, but, and also to a modern audience we're like, well, you know, throw someone's life away because they left their husband, you know, that's yeah. just, yeah. you know, that's part of a cultural, you know, just divide there. I think. Yeah.
1: I guess I think to us, it's not seen, it wouldn't have been such a like a, yeah,
0: and so, the, I mean, but that's yeah. the point against the movie in that it the movie wasn't able to make us see why it was important to the characters and why Edmund would be angry about it. The um, yeah. movie wasn't wasn't able to impart to us a sense of the gravity of what Mariah had done back in that time. And and it, it also was like, why would Mariah do that? And why would Henry Crawford do that? You know, like we don't see enough of Mariah and Henry to understand that Mariah is in love with Henry. When uh, Henry leaves after Sir Thomas comes home, we only get one scene of Mariah saying to Tom, he, you know, in in she sounds irritated, she sounds miffed, I can't believe he just left me here. But we don't see her being heartbroken over Henry Crawford. We don't realize that Henry Crawford has ruined her happiness and made her irrevocably in love with him so when the news comes that Henry Crawford and Mariah have run away as a viewer you're like what
1: it's It's definitely plot whiplash there's no yes Yes. a plot whiplash exactly do they remind me do they do the thing where where Julia runs off with Mr. Yates does
0: that no, also Mr. this is not even a character. It's Tom. This is kind of clever because they did need to streamline. It's Tom who comes home with the fervor for acting.
1: Right, and, and it's all his is. idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I really enjoyed the actor who played Tom too. I thought he was very He did
0: a good. nice job and he had a couple of good scenes, especially the one where he was trying to tell Edmund, you know, don't think that nobody can see and judge but yourself and yeah. um, makes the argument about how what an anxious period this is for his mother, but they also ruined the comedy of that moment because what he's supposed to do is look, look at Edmunds and, and be like, well, this is a very anxious period for my mother. And then they're supposed to look at Lady Bertram and see that she's asleep, which deflates his argument, but they do it backwards. They look at Lady Bertram and Tom says, this is a very anxious period for my mother. And then he goes to sit down next to her. And then she's like, I was not asleep so it's like the comedy's still there but like they really missed that beat that comedic beat a lot of comedic beats could have been made and then were also missed um that was great what was that bizarro poem that like rushworth recited when he saw julia's ankle oh god i don't remember
1: oh, yeah that no was it's so weird it's like a
0: fever dream
1: it was a fever dream. Like a fever dream
0: yes he's dressed up as count cassell and then he's like you know, though I saw your ankle, my mind was uh, much above it or something. It, it was it's this weird limerick he recites or something, but it, it's kind of like the sexually suggestive limerick. I don't know. It that he was a delight, is the is the point. Yeah. Well let's see. I have some notes, some other things that I don't want to forget to oh, can I bri- share
1: one fun factoid that I just found on IMDB? Yes. So I was saying I really like the actor who played Tom. So I was like, oh, I need to look up and see what else he's been in. And he, the actor is named James Darcy. And he was in Agent Carter Agent Carter with Haley Atwell. He played the Jarvis. Yes, the Butler. Kevin was
0: telling me all about that. Yeah. Oh my
1: God, they were both in it together. (laughs) (laughs) I've not
0: seen Agent Carter. You may want to like explain what Agent Carter is for listeners who are not up in the Marvel universe. So
1: people who do not know about the Marvel universe in the film Captain America, The First Avenger uh cap it's set in world war ii and one of the characters is Haley atwell who is she plays a agent carter she's a special kind of agent with the british military slash intelligence who ends up she and captain america fall in love and you know of course that doesn't work out so great because he gets like frozen in time because comics anyway um for two brief seasons they did a spin-off series called agent carter which was about her coming to the united states and working i think with the With S.H.I.E.L.D., right? So before it was S.H.I.E.L.D., it was something else. But basically, it's Haley Atwell running around, punching bad guys, looking fabulous in 1940s and 50s clothing. And the same actor who played Tom in this movie was in it as well as a, shall we say, butler chauffeur chauffeur with certain skills. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's a really great show. It was only on for two half seasons, but I really, really enjoyed it. I've well, only seen,
0: yeah, episode. no, I've only seen a couple of episodes, but Kevin loved it, too. Kevin loved it, Yay, too. Yay, so. Kevin! Yay! And I, d- I did love Hayley Atwell's performance, and I love her pretty red lipstick as Agent Carter,
1: so definitely check it out. It's um, really fun. It's good, like, girl power, um, fighting in the time period she was in, and she's vastly more capable than any of the men surrounding her. So here's the a, here's a thing, not to give you topic whiplash, um, but... So did Henry Crawford
0: run off with Mariah? Because I did not see that one coming. I did not see that coming. <laughs> did you Did you ever see those um, previews for a movie called Sherman and Mister Peabody, which is the animated, like feature length yes. movie? Yes. Yes. Where Patrick Warburton plays one of the um, Greeks, and he's inside the Trojan horse and try to get into it they try to get into the trojan horse so they make a super tiny little trojan horse and leave it on the (laughs) doorstep of the big trojan horse and then knock on the door i guess and patrick warburton uh who his voice actor who's playing the greek brings it inside and they're like should we bring that in he's like it would be rude not to and then sherman (laughs) and mr peabody come out of it and he's like i did not see that coming (laughs) Like an old person telling a funny story, like a commercial I saw one time. So the it, Trojan it horse. The never, Trojan horse. It has never failed to make me laugh thinking about that preview. I was in hysterics. Okay, what does that have to do with this, though, Kristen? So what it has, has to do with this is that is that. Um, what do you think about the fact that they gave Fanny the slavery line? So what has just happened as, is that Sir Thomas has come home. He has walked in. Oh, by the way, they did convince Fanny to get up on the stage. And yeah, so I was
1: going to say, in... didn't she end up changing her, like not changing her mind, but agreeing
0: to do it? Yeah, she did. Not even to read it, but she actually got up there on the stage and sort of those last few seconds where if she was a holdout, then she co- sort of totally lost her, her moral position Sir Thomas comes storming in and sees everybody up on the stage in a very unnatural scene where nobody says anything, but then he just takes uh, a play copy of the play and throws it in the fire. Like a total sociopath when he should have been like, what's going on guys? Like, Hey, yo, I'm home. And then we cut to the next scene where they're all eating dinner and having a conversation about it. Like, he wasn't just so enraged that he threw something into the fire and just scowled at everybody evilly. Um, But then in this, into this tension that, you know, as a, as a viewer, we're like, what the hell's going on? Fanny busts out this slavery question. So she's like, well, now that you have been amongst it, sir, do you think that slavery will continue? And everybody's like, Ooh, and he gives a very, even though he's supposed to be this evil villain, gives this sort of measured answer where he doesn't get mad at her, but he says, we may well do without slavery, but without order we are lost. And I took that as a, a way to retro- retroactively explain his behavior when he came home and threw the play, play copy into the fire, saying, we must have order because that's what he cares about, order. But I realized- must have <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to understand what they meant in this movie i'm trying Kristen, to understand Kristen, what they're
1: doing and are i are on a fool's errand i am on a fool's. they're like oh let's give fanny this line because we want to make her seem cool
0: <laughs> like
1: there's no reason for anything there's no reason for anything
0: yeah they, they're not i mean they're like okay so the person who wrote this was clearly like okay mansfield park has a slavery subtext it's important i'm going to put a line in I'm going to use that also to show who Sir Thomas is. However, at this point, Sir Thomas has been so all over the place in temperament that we can't parse it. And then they do something else interesting with Sir Thomas to try to highlight how hard things are for poor Fanny when he insists on her having a ball for her Is it for her birthday? I think in the movie they say it's for her birthday.
1: birthday. You have to have a ball. It's your birthday. We're going to do this thing for you that we know you'll hate.
0: Yes. And he's like, (laughs) must I, sir? And and he's like, yes, you must, because it is your day. It is your duty to think of everybody else. And as, as viewers, we're supposed to be like, oh, this is not cool. But nobody would have really ever actually busted that line out. You know, so again, it feels very contrived. The subtext is made text. The, the subtext is made text, and that happens so many times in this movie to the detriment of the story that they're trying to tell. I agree. I can't care if you just tell me, oh, you know, they're going to force her to do it. I will. But then they don't. That. Then
1: they have a picnic because they can't we actually do. afford
0: to have a <laughs> <laughs> And Fanny's like, counterpoint, you broke.
1: Let's, Let's just go do out the, on the lawn. The way that we. But then she references some other birthday right? Oh, I don't know. Does If I like, can't, then let's do it the way we did it 10 years ago or something like that. Oh. With the picnic, I was like, what? You know what? This actually may, with the whole thing with the
0: picnic, it actually may be a reference to, so you and I went to the Vine, right? When we went to England? We went to where? Uh, The Vine. Vine is spelled V-Y. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. And so... I don't know if it was with you or with Kevin, but when I was at the Vine, I met a descendant of Jane Austen, like a a great nephew or something. I think that was with us. He was telling me that there was a young uh, ward of the family at the Vine, the Vine being a a grand old estate near where Jane Austen lived, Uh, you know, a very ancient one. It's very cool to tour. But during Austin's time there was a ward of the family that came to live with them whose name apparently was Fanny and oh. for her birthday one year they had they asked her what she wanted to do and she said I want to have a picnic so the whole village did a parade for her and were shouting her name and having a picnic for her um, and he was sort of saying some people think that Fanny's the inspiration for Fanny Price but actually when you look at how well they treated her in this like awesome party they threw her that's very different, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I thought maybe that was a historical callback, which props to them. That's a pretty deep cut
1: if it is. I think you're giving them far <laughs> too much credit, Kristen. <laughs> I think they were like, well, we can't afford to have a ball, so mm-hmm. what can we do? Oh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I know.
0: Mm. Yeah, I just thought when Sir Thomas comes home, it's a very weird and, and stupid kind of
1: Thing, but you know, thing, having said, are... and I know, I, so I'm gonna just go out on a limb here and say that I think that we have plot whiplash and character whiplash in this movie. However, I would be remiss if I did not point out that those are sometimes criticisms that are leveled at Mansfield Park, the novel, oh. where we don't really understand why. Uh, sir bertram changes when he comes back we don't really some people are very also very surprised by the henry crawford mariah thing um at least with it taking that severe Mm -hmm. swerve it made it it make the problem bigger Yeah. yeah it's one thing to flirt and be inappropriate it's another thing to leave your husband and run off and be like i don't care Yes. And we don't see any of that at
0: all, which is, it's very true. And in the, um, in the 1980 adaptation of Mansfield Park, they do give us a scene. They cut to London where Mariah and Henry Crawford are together. And they show Henry Crawford trying to get back into her (laughs) good graces as it were.
1: (laughs) Um, I call my underwear, my good graces.
0: (laughs) Um, okay i can i can see that i can see that also they just didn't have enough time and they they they, um it was a combination of all things i want to be hard on the acting but then i realized there's direction and writing that made it hard for them i want to be hard on the writing but then i know that because of the time limitations that
1: was hard for the writer you want to be just it was just a like low effort on a lot of people's parts
0: yeah, it was unfortunately, no no movie magic was made. Sometimes yeah. with all those constraints, you can get a cast that just has amazing chemistry or you can get a director who just gets it or, or something and pieces fall into place. But unfortunately that magic, whatever that transformative magic is that helps movies, helps adaptations uh, was missing here, unfortunately. Um, but as I said before, I was watching it and my frustration with this movie sort of comes from the fact that it could have been good. I mean, they did have a good Edmund, they did have a good Fanny and they did have a good Mary and they had a pretty good Henry Crawford too. Yeah. Um, when, they all, when they were acting in scenes with each other, like when Henry Crawford proposes to Fanny um, after elevating William, it feels very real. You feel his sincerity. And you also know why she's rejecting him. So there was real, um, a, a real, um, you could dig your teeth into that particular scene. You absolutely could. Same with a later scene between Edmund and Fanny. I think it's the one where he's in her room and she's just washing her hair, um, even though I know that's inappropriate. But I wrote in my notes, like, this is good. I can actually feel the chemistry between these two actors right yeah. now. The thing is that those moments are few and far between enough that it doesn't catch on. It doesn't become movie magic. Um, And, uh, Oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, but no, this could have been a good movie. I especially appreciated the writer bringing in all the actual lines from the book. Mm -hmm. And every time that would happen, I would be like, yes, yes, yes. It's a great line. Yes. But it's just, we need more than just the dialogue if we're going to understand what's happening between these people.
1: We okay, need the so chemistry. Pulling the dialogue to me was because they were lazy. Oh, no. <laughs> the dialogue so good. I know, but it's just easier if you like go through the book and pull out the dialogue than having to write your own. Do you know what I mean?
0: No, here's I, what I, here's I disagree. What I think, is going on. I okay. think that
1: the Field part. It, it is a complex It's not a complex plot. There are complex characters. And to tell a successful film adaptation of Mansfield Park, everyone needs to be operating at the top of their game. Yes. The script has to be the best. The direction has to be the best. The behind the scenes stuff has to be the best. The actors have, everybody has to be firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And if you're trying to make an adaptation of Mansfield Park where that does not happen, it is not going to be successful. It's a hard enough book to understand and appreciate as a reader that if, as a viewer, if you just kind of throw it together, it's just not going to work.
0: Were I to make, were, and I'm not a screenwriter, but were I to envision my perfect Mansfield Park, it would have a ton of dialogue directly from the book and actually the reason that the 1995 Pride and Prejudice with Jennifer Ealing Colin Firth is so strong is because Davies did not try to change the dialogue. He preserved it wherever he could and the dialogue is so good that it really makes the piece very very strong.
1: And but- I agree with you. I totally 100% agree with you. My only my argument for this is I think they chose to use the dialogue as a shortcut rather mm. than because they appreciate <laughs> the dialogue. Like I, I'm not saying that that is not the appropriate way to go. It is, and it worked out being good as a viewer. But I don't think the decision behind that was, oh, this dialogue is so great.
0: <laughs> it was
1: like, well, just pull it from the book.
0: They um had to manufacture any any suspense that they had going for them at the end <laughs> as a will, he won't le- won't he you know, between Miss Crawford and Edmund, there are so many comings and goings and so many times that Edmund is just talking to Fanny about Mary Crawford that you really don't get the sense of building tension that Fanny feels when she's at Portsmouth and she's like expecting every day to get a letter that they're engaged and it's over. Instead, what we have is just a lot of different plot points trying to come together at the same time. And Edmund says, oh, by the way, Fanny, I love Mary Crawford. And Mary says, oh, by the way, family, Fanny, I've never bribed a physician. But there's a lot of other stuff um, going on. So without that tension of will he, won't he, Edmund just winds up at Mansfield Park. Tom is well. And, uh, you know, Mary Crawford has been dismissed. And that's when the color purple works its incredible romantic magic after all of that stuff has sort of been resolved. So in order to give some sort of feeling of tension, the filmmakers did a very uh, strange thing. They contrived a series of obstacles to keep Edmund and Fanny apart for a morning. (laughs) When we have involving lavender and some scissors and going to town, when we know that Edmund has realized thanks to the color purple that he is in love with Fanny Bryce. Um, So she's running all over the grounds. He's running after her to help her cut lavender. There are scissors. And then like you said, he grabs her wrist and then there's this romance. But at this time, at this point in time for me, I was just tired. Like I was just ready for it all to be over.
1: I don't know how do you I mean it's how do you so, feel about that it feels like this is such a cliche, the I've been in love with you the whole time. Oh my God. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. it's just just goddamn ask her. like who cares? And I don't care anymore. <laughs> I don't care anymore. yeah. I do like Billy Piper in this, so I did care about Fanny. I really didn't care about yes. Edmund. As soon as he went off on Mary Crawford, it was like, you're done uh so i did care about fanny i wanted to see her be happy but it's like just walk up to her and ask her what I know. is going on
0: oh and then we're supposed to believe that lady lady bertram the all-wise all-knowing yeah, lady she's bertram, the one who like knows it's happening
1: knew.
0: well edmund
1: why don't you go help her Oh, right. <laughs> oh, just, oh and
0: then she's like oh haven't you known sir thomas they've been in love since they were kids like where where have you been all this time, Lady Bertram? In, you just it, whatever Caribbean island
1: he was off in, Lady. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but she said since they were children, since she was yeah. a child, she so loved I don't know. This movie makes no sense, but I, you know, yet it's... I still watch it a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but I was going to say though, like
0: Lady Bertram supposedly knew that Fanny was in love with Edmund since Fanny was a child. However, she did absolutely nothing. To protect Fanny from having to see Edmund fall in love with Mary so what we really know about Lady Bertram is that she just
1: doesn't give a crap Oh no, no Kristen she <sighs> just discovered at the same time Edmund did that he'd been in love with her oh the whole time. I see <laughs> everyone discovered yes. on that day in the sitting room purple. that Edmund and Fanny mm. were in love mm. Mm. I don't know
0: uh, yeah, I don't know either and and but you're right, you're right. By the time he's grabbing her wrist out in the lawn when she's chasing the pug. You're right that we do not particularly like him. And I think you're right that I I honestly, I think you're right too. I think he really lost me as a, a romantic lead in that scene where Mary's being very practical and saying, "We have to save your sister, your sister, yeah,
1: from disgrace." And he's like, "Get out." He takes a very almost, like, Mr. Collins, it would be better if she were dead. Yes. He doesn't say that, but that's, like, the implication. Yes. I won't hear any good talk about my sister. And it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a modern audience is not going to respond to the hero.
0: Being well, like that. And, uh, you know, to, to give the book some props, maybe you were supposed to feel maybe— we're supposed to feel a little bit like that. And I certainly do when I read Mansfield Park, when I realize that Mary is making an argument, you know, to save them from utter social ruin and that Sir Thomas and Edmund, the idea is abhorrent to them and she must
1: be punished. Well, in the niceification of Mary Crawford, the problem with that is when you then have Edmund react with horror to what <laughs> she's saying. It's like, he's, being mean to a perfectly reasonable yeah, right. person. So if you don't make Mary Crawford just kind of like a har- more a little more, not horrible, because even in the book, I don't think she's horrible. If you make Mary Crawford seem less selfish and self-absorbed, then Edmund's reaction to her becomes um, unreasonable. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes, it does. It makes sense.
0: So Anything- what should...
1: So what should happen, a postmodern Mansfield Park ah. would be Mary realizing how awesome Fanny is and then the two of them running off together.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what um that's what Patricia Rozema tried to do, right? I mean, we've yeah. all seen that adaptation.
1: Yeah, I did also really like um the when Henry and Mary are walking away and he says, "I'm going to get Fanny to fall in love with me." And Mary's reaction seems very genuinely like, please don't. Yeah, do this. that was also very likable. But yeah, which, like did- Fanny is a really good person. Please don't be an asshole. I'm just gonna make a tiny hole in her heart, and she's just <laughs> like, fine, dude, whatever. But she does genuinely, I think, not want him to hurt. <laughs> and even in the book, even in the book, we kind of feel a little bit like she's
0: trying to defend Fanny. But then, as the book says, she leaves her to her fate. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which doesn't sound great.
0: Yeah, no, no. I mean, but uh, the the um, duality and the difficult, the the many layers of many Mary Crawford are also hard for any film to sort of capture in the same way the book captures. And and I, like we said, like I'm not trying to be hard on the movie for not nailing Mary Crawford because many readers have yet not yet nailed Mary Crawford. Oh, <laughs> soon. Um, you know, you know what I mean? So um, it's just that they didn't have an understanding of the complexity to display the complexity. Yeah. Kind of just let the chips fall where they may. And Haley Atwell just sort of interpreted, you know, the character. And she's very winsome. I mean, she is. And um, it's just, despite her winsomeness, we still don't know. We never see a nice moment between her and Edmund other than when they're reading Ann Haltz and what's her face, Uh, Amelia, they're reading lines in the script and they sort of look at in each other's eyes and sort of feel lovey-dovey, but they don't actually have a moment where they're both being their own human beings. And also we realize that they're in love. I just
1: never saw that. I agree. And I think, again, this goes back to what I was saying, um, where if you, if they're not, willing to make the effort to kind of understand the material going into it it's not going to be successful
0: yeah because it,
1: it to the credit of amazon.prime it is a complex story
0: <laughs> <laughs> so give them a break <laughs> give us a break guys almost like going into this you're like this isn't going to make a ton of sense but you know buy it for 299 anyway
1: uh cuz Yeah, we're Amazon. I'd say two (laughs) ninety-nine. I would pay two ninety-nine. I got it. I still get. um, I do streaming on Netflix, but I still also have a disc plan. So I just got it on like actual DVD. But I would pay two ninety-nine. Sometimes even mediocre Austin is better than no Austin. Some people probably disagree with that. So Emily,
0: listener Emily, we have given you. We have delivered our strictures on. (laughs) We've shit all over something that yeah. hopefully none of you really love. <laughs> and if we can go to the Wheat Sheaf, unless unless you have anything else.
1: No, please. Oh, yeah. I love the Wheat Sheaf.
0: We're going to the Wheat Sheaf um, uh, to, to our, our listener, Emily, who wrote in. And uh, she saw the ITV adaptation, and she didn't hate it. Yay! And
1: so... <laughs>
0: So she was asking about our take, and uh, you know, hopefully we weren't too hard on it. But I'll read you her, some of her thoughts. Um, she was also a big fan of lines from the book being incorporated as dialogue, and and one of the um, one of the lines was Henry saying as a line of dialogue, "The bridesmaids were suitably inferior."
1: Yeah, uh, I like that. The,
0: one. <laughs> the wedding. So a lot of little clever things there. Um, she did find sex to be oo- oozing between Mariah and Henry and um a good tone was struck between henry and mary i i agree with that actually the two siblings did have a good sibling relationship where she even mary even challenges him a little bit on the stepfather and i would hate to be i would hate to see you become like our stepfather yeah i um, agree with that which i appreciated and she said she didn't mind the change about not going to portsmouth I did mind it just because that's where, for me, the real psychological torture comes in mm-hmm. um, at the end. That that allows us to give us that sense of looming dread um, that then gets released by the um, the big news, right. Um, she and I were in agreement that uh, we hate Edmund's fringe, or for the
1: American listeners, his bangs. Oh, God, yeah. He had, like, a K-pop boy band haircut. What was yeah. up with that? <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what these people were doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand that they all had greasy hair, but, I mean, He's there's He's your no hero. One. He
1: needs to yeah. look handsome. He,
0: he needs to be spiffy as our hero. and they. Towards the end, they, they did it a little better. They did him a little more justice. But at the beginning, I was like, what? I mean, he is supposed to be not the most um, attention-grabbing guy. Yeah. But he should have a quiet sort of handsomeness and not be like this sort of very greasy, mousy <laughs>
1: You know, I was, I was making fun of it earlier, but I do think the end scene where they're running about and he's trying to propose to her, and she, I do think that's cute. In a rom-com cute. way, it was it, cute and rom It doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. It makes no sense. But when he is running around trying to catch uh-huh. up with her and stuff, he is very adorable. Yeah,
0: he he does have his moments. He does has his his cutie pie moments, and if we um, made him like that through the whole movie. He would have been a lot more likable. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, so Emily is is with us and with a lot of other people that in that Fanny looks and feels. Out of context. Yeah, her screaming, her running, her messy hair, listening to others' conversations.
1: When does um, she scream?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I think that she was laughing with oh, um, a okay. very loud laughter when she's chasing around that little girl at the wedding or after the wedding. Oh yeah, to make Henry Crawford be like, "Oh, I love you. You're so full of life and spunky." That's and not Fanny. Though. <laughs> no, which is not Fanny at all. Okay. Um. I liked Billy Piper. I hate. I hated, pers- this is me personally, um, the first time I saw the movie, I was very distracted by her hairstyle. Yeah, her, the her, free, around,
1: her free curls.
0: Yeah, yes. Talk about anachronistic, right? But the second time around, I was in a better mood about it. I was like, you know what? It actually is very flattering on Billy Piper as a hairstyle. I know it's not <laughs> correct, but I'm going to let this one slide um maybe maybe someone was like i hate billy paper's hair up don't ever put it up leave it down or something and that's why they went that direction because it is very pretty i mean she's
1: beautiful honestly though i think they did just want to make her look more like an she's a more free spirit yeah she's a free spirit that's what it is not she's not part of the like constraints but then none of the women really had the like buttoned up prim look no yeah, the, the the costuming and hair was a big problem on this for me. Uh-huh. And the, the complete, the, for me, the
0: complete absence of Mrs. Norris as a character is what killed it as Mansfield Park. Yeah, I agree. You can't have Mansfield Park without Mrs. Norris. And for whatever reason, I mean, that just... made me
1: angry, actually, while I was watching it when she would say something and I'm like, what's this? What is this? Get what off is of this. Here. I would get I was getting <laughs> angry.
0: <laughs> Me too. I was like how could you take this character who's so I mean she's not a good character. She's just a great character from an art- artistic perspective and just throw all her lines down the toilet by whispering them and just
1: Yeah, she know. did
0: whisper a lot. Yeah, he did. She did. Right. Yeah. So that's the ITV adaptation. I remember being so excited for it to come out and I remember being too hard on it. The the times I watched this, I watched it twice in preparation for this podcast. That was only the second and third time I had ever watched this movie. I had only seen it once and been so mad that it didn't live up to my expectations of what Mansfield Park should be that I never saw it again.
1: Did you and I watch this one together? I can't remember. I don't. We watched watched the new Sense and Sensibility and Persuasion together, but I can't remember if we managed to watch this one together. I
0: I don't know. I don't know. I, I remember being enraged. Um, oh, but God. I, I don't know if
1: you remember me being enraged. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I figured I would have been smart enough to get out of the splash zone, so... Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't think we watched this one together. I did watch it on Masterpiece Theater back when it originally aired.
0: I'm Laura Linney. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everyone made such a big deal that she was going to do the intros. And then like, she doesn't, all she says is I'm Lauren Linney and this is Masterpiece. Well, sometimes
1: they give useful context. Um, I always liked it when um, Adam Cumming, Alan Cumming would do it now. I love Alan Cumming. Is he the one who's still doing it? He would wear one of his fabulous little crazy suits with a Scottish accent. (sighs) Or maybe he just says Masterpiece Mystery. Oh, maybe. He's just the greatest. I know.
0: Uh, and is there anything else in the wheat sheaf? We have actually a number of listener, uh, emails to talk about, um, want to give a shout out to Colleen. Um, (laughs) we had discussed, um, a little bit of Colleen's, uh, we talked about her question about Pride and Prejudice, um, the last time we did a podcast, And uh, she did write us another uh, really interesting email with a lot of really interesting points in response to our podcast about uh, what matters in Jane Austen, the Mullen books. And I won't um, read the whole thing, although I kind of wish I could. Because I don't want to rip off her content. <laughs> she, we actually told her, I actually wrote back and said, maybe you need an Austin podcast because this is amazing. She should yeah.
1: just be a guest on ours.
0: Kristen, we should just have another guest. Well, we have um, um, some other listeners who have both studied Emma as an adaptation, a Clueless as an adaptation of Emma. And so I think we need to do an episode about Yes. clueless as an adaptation of emma yes, but we have hell yeah we have more than one listener who wrote like a dissertation or an honors thesis i think in one case about clueless as an adaptation of emma wow so, you guys are really <laughs> smart i know i know
1: and so i think there are a couple of people who would like to come on and talk okay, about I've that i did not have any of these people on because they're going to be much smarter than me oh, and man. i'm going to have there's going to be a coup <laughs> and what if I get ousted as a co-host?
0: <laughs> no, no one could replace you as a co-host. Uh, at least At least you know you're safe until next April when I'm allowed to have the glory of being a bridesmaid in your wedding and i would never want to get kicked out of the bridal party so i certainly won't fire you as
1: co-host until then. only until i have so much leverage over people until (laughs) kind of amazing everyone has to be nice to me and i can always revoke bridal party and or wedding invitations as uh in response to any ill behavior (laughs) the power the power! power I'm flushed with the power (laughs) and also the lack of funds. Weddings are are so expensive. Oh my God. That's going to be great. And we'll, you know, we'll definitely, I know we talk, we're trying not to turn this into a wedding podcast, um, but we will of course, I will of course share some photos um on the yes. Facebook page because I know you guys were very excited about the engagement announcement. Yes, everyone so. was very sweet about
0: the engagement. Hopefully people like they listen for the Austin, but hopefully they care a little bit about us as people. So I no, think they don't. did. I I think they proved <laughs> that they did by liking your your post. At least they're Bay, they're just all Bay fans. Let's everybody be likes Bay. Um and so our last uh email that I'm gonna mention is um from listener Tosh. Natasha, in Australia. Thank you for writing. She wrote us a hysterical email where she listens to our podcast on the way into work to an all-girls school in Australia. Oh, yeah, this was really funny. (laughs) And, um... She says, I, it is so amazing to hear about our Lord and Savior Jane Austen every morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I read that to my family, by the way. <laughs> I was at my um, aunt's house for dinner with my dad and Bay and a bunch of other people. And when I got your email, and it was so funny. I had to read it out loud at the table. <laughs> I, loved it. I thought it was hysterical. I think my dad still doesn't, okay, my dad is not very much aware of what goes on <laughs> around him. <laughs> And he'll be like, it's an email about what? About the podcast, Dad. The what? The podcast. People email you about the podcast. Like, we have fans, Dad.
0: (laughs) And yes, it was hysterical. I also really love that she said... um, Northanger Abbey is her favorite book but she loves teaching Emma to high school girls who pretend to be interested for her oh,
1: sake. Yeah, she was very clever <laughs> that was a really great email. Tosh you're like a modern day Jane Austen. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think those are um those are our sheaf things let me go back to make sure I didn't miss anything because I, I I really hate if I if you ever wrote to me and I didn't talk about it it's because I'm an idiot. It's not because. Yeah, don't be offended.
1: Please don't be offended. Um, and thank you okay. to everyone who sent us messages on the Facebook page. Uh, we try to respond to those in a timely manner. Yes. Um, and just everyone, oh. thank you for reaching out. We really do love it. I say it all the time, but it really does. It's such um, It gives me such like a happy feeling that you all take the time to write to us and talk about the show. And it just makes me very happy.
0: Speaking of movie adaptations, uh, Lou, longtime listener Lou, Longtime time listener and persuasion fan lou has um emailed about a movie called unleashing mr darcy which oh I'm my reading. god yes <laughs> it's the <like> a hallmark <laughs> channel movie yes i
1: think that's not already aired i think haven't i seen it? you've seen it you've yeah seen i it. watched that shit actually <laughs> right before we started recording this podcast marrying mr darcy was on the yeah. hallmark and i was watching that uh but yes unleashing mr darcy <laughs> it's about dogs get your minds out of the gutter um yeah and who else oh we heard oh, and they're doing another um hallmark has released their list of like what their 30 christmas movies or something they're doing this year and one of them is again another pride and prejudice uh ripoff
0: People just can't stop ripping
1: off Pride and Prejudice. I'm like, guys, there's a lot of other Austin movies you could take inspiration from, but you, why change the formula? Yeah, what it, well, the formula
0: works, right? And I, I'm i sorry, there was actually even one more email. So Mr. I, it was great to hear from Mr. I, our, our first ever fan. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it was Alicia or Mr. I, but they both like were like, Fan cage number one. Match
1: for it, cage
0: match for fan number one.
1: Austin yeah. quote off cage match.
0: Um, it, And he just mentioned hearing the Jane Austen Book Club um, pod, uh, podcast and not being a fan of Karen Joy Fowler's actual execution. So, yeah. People still in our back catalog, which is good. People still listening to our old stuff. Yay. And not
1: just... <laughs> oldies but a goodie like goodies.
0: that was funny when you shared that com- that um not commercial that cartoon about the podcast from web comic web comics oh name. it was like that one the advertisement <laughs> <I laughs> <slip, slip laughs> some advertising actually we did try we had somebody contact us to advertise in our podcast but they were mistaken about our numbers they, they thought, thought
1: we were far more popular we than we were, us. that's so when they realized we were that's so us right They oh, we we to were. partner with you and blah, blah blah and like well you realize that only like 10 people <laughs> and they were like oh
0: and no i was like hmm doesn't seem like doesn't seem like you've seen these numbers let me make you aware of the publicly available information about how many times our podcast has been downloaded and
1: then you know they just GIF never where, wrote back you know that gif where homer like it's awkward, so he just disappears yeah, just disappear. back into just the bushes. Just, <laughs>
0: just that <average laughs> was like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I don't like that our podcast, I mean, basically what this means is that because we don't have advertisements, which I was saying I do like as a listener, it just means that Kristen slaves away <laughs> editing and doing all this <laughs> stuff on it for nothing. But she does get the adoration of our 10 listeners.
0: Yeah, that's, that makes it all worth it.
1: live in Toronto, 40% live in Australia, and 20% live in my house.
0: (laughs) You guys, you listeners are the best. You are the best and we love you. It's true. It's true. And on that note, we have delighted you long enough.